0: You know, if there's any sort of universal affliction right now in the 21st century for all of us, it's the affliction of meaninglessness, you know, the fear that we're not here for a reason, you know, especially as we grow sort of further away from our roots or from sort of a shared culture or religion or, you know, way of thinking, there's a fear that we don't know why we're here, you know, and that's terribly disorienting, you know, to wake up every day with the vertigo of not knowing what you're doing and why. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things that tarot does for us is help us find a way to figure that out for ourselves.
1: Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I am joined by author T. Susan Chang to discuss her latest book, The Living Tarot. Susie talks about her realization that you can't teach anyone tarot, but you can teach them to teach themselves by helping them discover how tarot speaks to them. She discusses the relationship between tarot and magic, the many ways one can work with tarot, and the power of engaging with the cards in a spirit of play. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. T. Susan Chang is the author of Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, 36 Secrets, A Decanic Journey Through the Minor Arcana of the Tarot, and co-author with her Fortune's Will House Esoteric Tarot Podcast co-host Mel Moline of Tarot Deciphered. Decoding Esoteric Symbolism in Modern Tarot. She is the creator of the Arcana Case for Tarot Decks and teaches The Living Tarot, an online tarot course. Susan joins me today to discuss her latest book based on her tarot course, The Living Tarot, Connecting the Cards to Everyday Life for Better Readings. Susie, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Nick. It's an honor to be here.
1: Well, thank you. I am a huge fan of your work. I have told you that I've been following your work for a number of years. So I'm going to do my absolute best not to fanboy <laughs> out on you, but I am so looking forward to this conversation.
0: I am uh, as well.
1: Okay, wonderful. So I thought that we might begin with a little bit of your background and mm-hmm. how you came to tarot you know what drew you to row uh, to tarot for any of my listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work
0: yes so i first encountered tarot in actually i'm saying tarot because you said tarot but i normally say tarot okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I nor yeah. i first encountered it in college and and it had never occurred to me that i would touch a deck of cards other than for playing card reasons but I had a roommate or rather a, a neighbor down the hall who who had a deck of her own, and she you know, and she became obviously the center of attraction of you know the sort of <laughs> galaxy center of the entire uh, dorm because of her ability to read these cards. And at the time, I thought, no way, there's too many of them. I don't understand it. Plus I'm educated. That's not what I'm going to do. So. <laughs> but uh but in time, you know after many, many readings like everybody else, you know, just constantly angling for reading, you know, I began to see that this was this was an incredible sort of intellectual feat that she'd accomplished and at least I had respect for that but I still, personally did not get into tarot until until my 20s and unlike you, you you started around 16 which I admire and I wish that I'd had the foresight to do so I I started when I got back to New York which is where I'm from I got back to New York had my first job first couple of jobs and and started just trying all sorts of things you know that 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 initial Sort of like a Mennonite rumspringer when you're released from all of your expectations and authority for the first time. And for me, it was dancing, ballroom dancing, and playing the saxophone, and learning tarot. Those were the three things that I did at that age, and and I was just hooked. You know, from the first moment I was stayed in the closet for a good 20 years, but, (laughs) but in the closet with me always were my cards.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Very good. So was there a moment that you had this sort of like, wow, there really is something to this?
0: Yes, absolutely. Like the very first day, really, Mm -hmm. when I picked up the cards And I had occasionally like gone to a reader and, you know, and, 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 and had my fortune told, or Mm. just had sort of what were really therapy sessions with, Mm. with a very good reader in New York. But when I finally got my own cards, the first thing that happened was I kind of picked up the deck and, and I felt a something from the deck physically, I mean, and I was like, that's curious, what's happening? And to me, it felt almost like there was an electric current running through the deck, Hmm. through my hands, holding the deck. And I thought, okay, well, whatever that is, that feels like something. And the first card that I ever drew from a tarot deck of my own was the Queen of Swords. And Hmm. at that time, the Queen of Swords was really meaningful for me. I really identified with the Queen of Swords. And actually, interestingly enough, there's a whole sort of current thing going on in the tarot culture where tarot readers identify with the queen of swords. Hmm. But I didn't know that back then. And, and I, you know, and she kind of like just fell out of the deck. And then the very first time I did card of the day was three days later and I got queen of swords. So, you know, so by then I was just sort of like, okay, I, I think there's something here and I'm going to just open my mind to it and see what happens, which I later realized it's kind of the best recipe that I know of for engaging with tarot generally. Hmm. Just see what happens.
1: (laughs) Right. right. So you say that there is a, the tarot readers are kind of connecting or relating to the Queen of Swords. Yes. It's
0: sort of through the Jungian typology, actually. There's a, you know, every once in a while, someone will run a a Myers-Briggs test on a tarot community and like the majority of the tarot readers will come up as INFJs and INFJs in, if you kind of do sort of a Mary Greer style Jungian, you know, breakdown of the 16 types and the 16 court cards, that's Queen of Swords. Mm. So there seem to be a lot of people who, and I actually ran a, a a survey of my own about 10 years ago on a tarot forum, probably about seven years ago on a tarot forum and asked which of these 16 court cards do you most identify with queen of swords, you know, wow. like 60, 70%, something like that.
1: Wow. Yeah. 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 I like the queen of swords too. So <laughs> yeah. I was kind of curious. Yeah. She's
0: about. great. She's yeah. great.
1: Yeah, <laughs> she is. I, but doesn't she have kind of a negative reputation? Oh, for
0: sure. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you read these the older interpretations for Queen of Swords, you know, she has she's the one queen who is a little bit shadowy, you know, mm. she could be a widow or she might be divorced. She has kind of an identification with the off with their heads kind mm. of yeah. queenly archetype. And she's tough, you know. Mm -hmm. She's tough. She's associated with loss and grieving and Black Maria, Mm -hmm. Uh, but she's also there's a sort of a a gravity about her, but also a beauty and a lightheartedness. You know, Mm -hmm. there she's she's incredibly witty. She's said to love to dance, you know, and. Then if you go with the golden dawn correspondences, she is associated with the sign of Libra, which is the form of beauty that is symmetrical, basically mm. Venus in her more symmetrical form. So, and she's, and she loves to partake in brisk and uh, revivifying conversation. So she's a, she's a talker, but she's, uh, but she's a fundamentally, and she doesn't take a lot of BS, but she's fundamentally yeah. fair-minded. I think most people mm. find.
1: Yeah. Well, that yeah. makes sense for the Tarot itself,
0: mm-hmm. um, because yeah. I think
1: Tarot is very kind of direct and often no <laughs> nonsense, Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, although it can also be very ambiguous at times. Um, That's
0: right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And so when you began learning the Tarot, were you like everyone else just consulting that little white book?
0: Yeah, I did dive in with the little white book, but I didn't like it. You know, I didn't, I didn't like what it was, the sort of prescriptiveness of the little white book. And I, and I got the pictorial key, Arthur Edward Waite's Mm. pictorial key and same deal. You know, it's like, well, there's more to life than what I'm seeing in this book. So I think the first real tarot book I got was Rachel Pollack's 78 Degrees Mm. of Wisdom. And that was my Bible for a long time, like many people. Second one, like most people, you know (laughs) Mary Greer's tarot for yourself, you know, so really those two were my kind of guiding stars right at the outset. But, but yeah, I think, you know, I was just flailing along with it for, for, for many years, just trying to pick up whatever I could. I think at the time I was in New York and Wald and Ruth Amberstone had the tarot school there and Mm. I would go once in a while, but it was, it was a very small operation at that time. You know, they had like a Monday night or tuesday night class i can't remember and i would just go and hang out just to be among other people who didn't think this was nuts you know right. <laughs> but but i i think and i and that's right and that's where i bought i bought from ruth a copy of robert wing's cabalistic tarot mm. there i cracked that thing and i was like <laughs> no idea what you're talking about and i put it away for like 15 years <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Well, and and that was one of my questions is when did you begin taking that deep dive into the more esoteric qualities of the Tarot?
0: Yeah, well, right at the beginning, I think I I kind of was looking for something like that. I, I, I think I really vibed with the astrological correspondences early on, and I found something somewhere that 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 gave me some indication of what those were. I didn't know a thing about Thoth. I had a deck, but like many people, I was turned off by it. So I didn't use it. I certainly didn't know about, you know, the Book of Thoth or 777 or, you know, Liberty or anything like that. So so I think, you know, because love systems right away, I, I think I tried to swallow the astrological correspondences whole and they must have come back up again because they didn't stick. <laughs> And then, like, for a very long time, I just kind of put all of that aside. Like, you know, for from like 2000 to like 2014 or so, I was busy with like, you know, moving to New England and raising kids and trying to be a food writer and doing all these other things. And tarot just sort of went back into the closet as something I did with my friends and family. And that was it. So it wasn't until like 2014, 2015 that I just felt such a hunger for you know for for engaging with the cards again and mm-hmm. I discovered that there was an online community and it was really that the fact that there was community and people that I could talk to about the things I was interested in and you know and what this card could possibly mean that really got me started again, um, and really this time for good. <laughs> so yeah. so so it was at that point, that I discovered Mel Moline's deck, just like you. I had a friend who had introduced me to Mel and I was like talking to this friend constantly about Thoth and about correspondences and things like that. And it was in the course of talking to Mel, who, as it turned out, lives, you know, only 40 minutes, 35 minutes away from me, that I thought, you know, very much a kind of learn by doing. How can we sort of absorb the, the symbolism and the correspondences of these images and reconcile them? The writer Wade Smith, the thought, and eventually Tabula Mundi Mel's deck as well. So that's how the Fortunes Wheelhouse podcast got started. And in the course of like organizing myself to get that podcast together, I realized that I had all these spreadsheets. And there was nothing that just put them all in one place. And I really needed that. So that's where tarot correspondences came from. Really needed the resource. uh, Really needed a very like tarot-centric 21st century 777, basically. And and fortunately, Llewellyn was nice enough to, you know, offer me a contract and and bring this thing into the world, which has been great. So, so yeah, so it was all correspondences all the time for a while. (laughs) since then but you know and and at that point i was also reading in a shop for people and for me it's always been sort of like on the one hand sort of deep dives into you know is esotericism and correspondences and symbol systems and whatnot and on the other hand actually reading for human beings Mm. which is you know quite different and i wanted to try and reconcile those as well Mm. you know so really you know tarot deciphered is a the the book I wrote with Mel Meline is is the print version of Fortune's Wheelhouse, and it's expanded out with myth and you know all these right. wonderful things that that Mel went digging down in wormholes to find. And we both you know we just wanted to have the book, so right. again, but and Thirty Six Secrets was me diving down my own wormholes with the two through ten minors and trying to sort of apply a uh, Kabbalah and elemental and astrological information to the minor cards. But but all along, I felt there had to be a way to, you know, do what I do for people and show other people how to do that or to bring the magic, the true magic of tarot, which is applied to people's lives. And and I knew it wasn't through correspondences because. Because, you know, not everybody wants to, like, memorize, you know, the, the sephirot and the decanic correspondences, and not everybody's into astrology. And yet, I truly believe that tarot is for everybody. So, you know, at that point, I really wanted to try and and figure out a way to teach people tarot, and I it was quite difficult because from what I could see, it was almost impossible to teach people tarot, right? Because what are you going to give them a bunch of meanings, you know, and they're going to have to memorize them? No, memorizing is the opposite of doing tarot. So, so I finally discovered, I guess, or deduced that even if I couldn't teach people tarot, I could teach them to teach themselves. Mm. And that's what the living tarot is about, is providing a framework for people to, to, discover their own language of tarot to make their own correspondences to see how tarot lives and breathes in their own lives. So it's really more a way of looking at the world than, you know, a pedagogy, right. if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. I actually had a line from the book written out here that you wrote, you can't teach anyone tarot, you can teach <laughs> someone to teach themselves tarot. So, right. so thank you. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Well, and it was interesting because very recently it was on another online forum. I think it was a Facebook to row group uh, mm-hmm. where someone had posted. And I noticed that this is a very common post is like, how in the world do I memorize these cards?
0: Right. right. right.
1: Yeah. And so I, you know, I respond, I'm like, well, get Susie Chang's book, <laughs> 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 but, but I like, you know, and I added a little bit more to that in the sense that. It is about developing a relationship with the cards. And I think that's so important, developing that relationship with the cards. I
0: think so, too. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, if you, oh gosh, if, you know, if you are are trying to work from the little white book and you know, and 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 the little white book tells you that justice is balance and you look around and like everything is balance, right? You know, how does that help you in terms of figuring out whether to move to Wisconsin or whether right. you should apply to, you know, to an IT position? You know, none of this is applicable unless you start saying, okay, what does an IT position look like in tarot? You know, what right. is Wisconsin? What does moving look like in tarot? You know, yeah. these are things that you can figure out. Right. right? Through the awesome power of metaphor <laughs> and the human brain. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's, it seems like foundational to the Living Tarot book and the course is that daily draw. Yeah. Because that's yeah. where you're going to start making those connections, right?
0: Exactly. And what, not only is it sort of like just fun, you know, to see what tarot has to say for you, it's an invitation to, mm-hmm. to create meaning out of, something that you draw each morning but tarot itself will tell you right you don't have to do this all by yourself sometimes tarot will be like hey you know what it's three of swords again because it's raining again you know right. <laughs> and, and, and yeah. you might not know to know that you won't read that in any book right yeah. but then it'll just happen it'll arise naturally and if you keep track which hopefully you do mm-hmm. of what happens when you draw the cards then eventually patterns start to emerge
1: yeah Yeah. I liked something that you wrote in regards to this because working with the cards and working with the images and kind of keeping track, it opens up the world in a way. And I think what you wrote was you are teaching yourself to live as if you are in a a poem or a work of art. And I really loved that.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah. 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 No, I really believe that. I, I think that You know, if there's any sort of universal affliction right now in the 21st century for all of us, it's the affliction of meaninglessness, you know, the fear that we're not here for a reason, you know, especially as we grow sort of further away from our roots or from sort of a shared culture or religion or, you know, way of thinking, there's a fear that we don't know why we're here, you know, and that's terribly disorienting, you know, to wake up every day with the vertigo of not knowing what you're doing and why. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things that tarot does for us is help us find a way to figure that out for ourselves. Right. You know, and it's 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 not going to do it for you, but it's a conversation that draws it out of you, you know, draws the search for meaning out of you. And 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 I don't think that there's really any substitute for that in a person's life for the search for meaning i don't i don't really think you can get it from you know no matter how much fantastic netflix you watch you know <laughs> it's not going to do it for you unless you're engaged in the creative process of trying to make meaning for yourself
1: Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm curious, and I think I already know the answer to this question, uh, but I'm going to ask it anyway. (laughs) So you recommend doing a daily draw and it can be two cards or as many cards as you want, correct? Mm -hmm. What about doing other readings for yourself? I've heard other Tarot readers say, no, you can't do that. Or people say that it's so difficult to do.
0: Sure, both are true. I think. I mean, well, no. I. I mean, I do think you can read for yourself. But I think it is difficult sometimes yeah. because we have a tendency to project. I think it's normal. It's what makes it work. It makes it makes it go. <laughs> it makes the whole process of reading tarot go. But I think what's almost impossible to do, or what can be very difficult to do, is to is to read for yourself, because when you read for yourself, the, I think what the Jungians would call the, the electric light of consciousness, the ego is so deeply involved that it, you know, drowns out the more subtle promptings, the starlight, the candlelight of, you know, of, of the larger message. Uh, That said, I think it can be done. And I think it helps to uh, read for other people a lot, because then you have the muscles to know what it's like to do that. Um, the way that I find is most makes it possible for me to read for myself, which I only do in sort of important situations, is number one, you want to, you know, there needs to be some stakes involved. Like it's, it has to be something that you really, really care about to actually get results Number two, you have to build more meaning into it than you would for other people, because I think you have to like ritualize it. You have to like somehow signal to yourself that this is special. Whereas, you know, when you read for somebody else, it's already special because they've come to you and they care a lot and it's, they may have paid a lot of money, you know? So for yourself, you have to make it special. Number three, what I found, and I learned this from a student, actually, you can record the reading and use the second person. So as if you're talking to someone else. So, Hmm. you know, so you, you received the seven of pentacles and here is what this might mean pertaining to your situation, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, the reason being behind this is that you're much nicer when you talk to yourself. (laughs) And also the flow of talking in conversation is something that we do in sort of you and I terms like that. Right. So that's the next thing I do. And then the final thing is with the recording, I don't listen to it until like the next day, mm. or the two days later, or something like that, just to create a separation between the reader and the person being read, you know, which are both me, but hopefully right. I can, you know, separate right. out those two parts a little bit enough to get a message across. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I find sometimes that the answers I get are quite direct Mm -hmm. and I'll give you two examples here because one is also, there's this question of ambiguity. Yeah. So I've been, I had been thinking about going back to Colorado for a long time. I have lived Mm -hmm. in Southern California for 18 years and several months ago, and it was a late at night and it was very ritualistic. I did a one card reading and Mm -hmm. I just asked the question, should I stay or should I go?
0: Ah, mm
1: -hmm. and I got the chariot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty obvious. (laughs) Yes, isn't it
1: though? And I thought, okay, there you go. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And so, you know, events kind of happened that led me back to Colorado, uh, not without a lot of you know, sort of heartbreak and so on and so forth. And after I arrived, um, and again, sometimes these happen in the middle of the night, you know, when I wake up and the anxiety is there, I thought, okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm I'm (laughs) going to ask. I'm going to ask. And the question I asked this time was, did I make the right decision?
0: Oh, to which the only possible right answer is yes. (laughs) Well,
1: but the card I drew was the fool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) just sassing you back there yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. oh and i could read that in a couple of ways right you know yeah yeah uh, i'm starting a whole new journey or darn you're a fool yeah
0: yeah and
1: and that's where i find true kind of tricky and interesting Mm -hmm. is in those different ways and that's why i find reading for myself kind of so again tricky because there is that tendency to read what we want into the cards
0: yeah I think that's absolutely right I think that's absolutely right it is tricky and I you know and I also encourage people to you know if there's if there's if there's a question you want to ask that only has one right answer the answer is probably the method to use is magic not mm-hmm. divination right, right. <laughs> because which are very similar actually mm-hmm. they're they're so closely related it basically it's either reading symbol or writing symbol right mm-hmm. and i think that you know if there is uh, it's and it's it's the the problem is that like if you try to ask a question where the answer there's only one right answer there's going to be a ton of projection onto that right there's going to be like just the you can feel the cards like working to give you what you want and which you don't really want them to do but (laughs) but but yeah I, i i think it's it's true i think one of the most difficult things to ask. I mean, you you were lucky that you got the chariot for you. Should I move? I should I not. But one thing I found that helps a great deal with questions like that, when you get an ambiguous answer, like what if you got like, I don't know, like the six of cups, you know, it doesn't really say anything about moving or not moving exactly. You know, I found that often it's helpful to split the question in two, like, like, you know, like a peanut or a or a, you know, or, or, or an Oreo, <laughs> you know. It's sort of <laughs> like, what if I do it, or what if I don't, you know, right. kind of a thing. And then something about drawing two cards provides like this contrast. This it's like turning up the contrast on a on a photograph, and by seeing the difference between the two cards, you can usually tria triangulate which is the answer that seems to be more fruitful, but, but yeah, no, it's fascinating trying to do that. It's, it's fascinating trying to read for yourself and, and to parse out the ambiguities. Another thing that I teach in the book is this technique I call priming the pump, which is basically for whatever question you have, you imagine four or five possible answers and you use your language of tarot to figure out what each of those would look like in tarot, what card would represent them. And by doing that, something about that puts your your head in sort of metaphor gear, right? It helps it helps you, for some reason, it helps you get ready to read whatever the final answer actually is going to be, whether or not the final answer randomly drawn is one of those four or five that you posited, it's still going to make your brain, you know, warm it up you know, right. like doing stretching exercises before you go to a run. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, I love the example that you gave in the book of how you did that with uh, your son. And uh, I think <laughs> it was a Packers game.
0: It was a Packers <laughs> game, right? Yeah, 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 no, it's true. He he was living at, he was 16 years old, really into football, you know, didn't care at all about tarot. And, and, uh, and he just, just would talk about nothing but the Packers. And so I held out my cards and asked him, you know why don't we see who's going to win and but i primed the pump by saying you know how are we going to know if it's the packers who are going to win and i asked him what color shirts they were and he's like jerseys mom they're called jerseys <laughs> <laughs> and apparently they were green because they're the green bay packers and and the only card i could think of that had a green shirt was the seven of wands and i said okay kid so if we get the seven of wands they'll win And, you know, so I hold it out and he pulls a seven of wands and they win and it's great, you know, and it even is like the game was even like the seven of wands it was like difficult and everything was against them but they prevailed in the end through great determination and perseverance, You know, everything about it was like seven of wands, and the question of course, in hindsight is like what would you have done if you'd gotten any other card but 77 other cards and you know my answer to that is that I don't know I honestly don't know and sometimes tarot is just weird and wonderful and gives you a freebie yeah
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. have you ever had an example where you just you do a reading either for yourself or for someone else and you're like I don't know what this is telling me
0: Sure. You know, I mean, that happened all the time when I was starting out all the time. And, and at the time, what I would do is what probably every new reader experiences, I would just like, choose something to, to, to sort of like plant my flag on. And I would say, this is what it means. Or I would like stretch and stretch and stretch. If it wasn't resonating, I would like, go a little further out there and plant another flag. And like, and before you know it, I was like way out there on the end of the branch about <laughs> to fall down and neither of us had any idea what was going on, neither me nor the person I was reading for. And I think one of the things I've learned by doing readings as a professional for years now is, first of all, I don't come up dry quite as often now because there's more, there's just more in the well, But but also that you shouldn't feel afraid to just say, I don't know you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on here. And then to open it up to the other person, because honestly, no matter how experienced a reader you are, what they have to, what they bring to the reading is just as important. What they see in the cards is every bit as important. They could have never read tarot, like for their entire lives, you know, never seen a deck of cards before. And yet, you know, here's a card, let's see, uh page of swords, you know, and Perhaps you look at this and they're like, oh my God, I just got these red boots and this is what it means to me. And this card is like the everything to me. So, you know, you don't know unless you ask, you know, and I think there's the pressure to seem like an expert is the enemy.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 I like that. I like that a lot yeah <laughs> uh, so when did you begin reading for other people did you begin reading right away or- right away
0: yeah pretty much right away I I wasn't going to but you know as soon as I got the deck I I couldn't stop talking about it right so my friends are like dude we're reading for me and how could you know I how could I refuse because I just wanted to I just wanted to hold the cards and talk mm-hmm. about the cards so yeah I, I started reading for my friends right away but for strangers which I think is a Different thing entirely. It took like maybe a year or two, I think. I think what would happen was that I would take the cards everywhere with me. And sometimes people would just sort of like approach me. Like there, sometimes you hear about folks, I forget who does it. Somebody takes his cards to airports and mm. just has them out at the terminal and sees, sees who approaches, which I think is great. So that was kind of similar for me. I would like be on a bus or a train and, you know, somebody would get interested. It still happens nowadays. And, and then, but then I started reading in a coffee shop on Tuesdays in New York after a couple of years. And that was great. I just read for tips. I was living in the theater district. So people had stories on stories on stories, and they had lots of interesting problems. So, so, so I got a lot of practice doing that. Just, just reading for tips on, on, on Tuesday nights for probably a year or two, something like that before stopping so when I returned to it I think you know it was like 2014 2015 was the next time I actually went into that kind of situation again I started reading for a local shop and just for people who came off the street and that was really really good for me for again recognizing what it means to use the cards in a way that's not totally up in your head you know Yeah. And I I recommend that everybody do it, even if you're shy or, you know, or even like if you're if you're shy about reading for other people and somebody wants a reading, you do it together. Right. You say, well, let's figure this out together. Let's draw some cards and see what we think together. They mean,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I used to um, I used to work at a university in the engineering department. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, uh, and I'm not an engineer by any stretch of the imagination. But one mm-hmm. of the professors ran an international X-ray conference every year, and I would <laughs> go in the summer and work at the conference. And I would usually sit in the evenings, back like in the bar, yeah, and with my tarot cards out, and I would do all these tarot readings for for engineers, uh, these, yeah, and scientists <laughs> and everything. It was quite fun.
0: That's I, fantastic. Were they open uh, to it?
1: Yeah, they were. Yeah. And I would just, I would do it not for tips, but for beers or something. So, yeah. You know, yeah,
0: um, You're Probably pretty buzzed by the time you got out of there. Yeah.
1: Well, I had to limit it, you know, uh, how many <laughs> beers I could accept, but uh, yeah, but I also noticed that this is, I wanted to ask you about this because you do talk a little bit uh, towards the end of the living tarot about the ritual involved
0: mm-hmm. and
1: yeah. I, I had an experience where a friend once or twice a year would have all these women come in, her colleagues and friends, and yeah. there would always be a focus of what they were doing. And so one time she's invited me over. She's like, well, we're gonna have you sit back in this room and you can do tarot readings for people. Mm-hmm. And I had never done anything like that. But by the end of the day, I had this raging headache.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's and I thing. it it totally caught me unprepared.
0: Mhm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, that that it's it's sort of like reading for people opens you up, right? And it's like you basically have just an army racing through your your sensorium <laughs> for for however many hours it is. And it's no surprise that you ended up with a headache. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think ritual is important in the sense that it, it sets a definite beginning and a definite ending so that at least you have a chance afterwards to sort of return yourself to yourself. My favorite ritual after reading for people is eating something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I think that like you know some people say, you know, have a little bit of salt. Oh my god, like have some french fries, you know, <laughs> or something, you know, like something just to like return your body to your body, you know, to remind you that you're not just like this creature floating in the ether is you are made of matter like you know all four elements and and bring you back into your body i, I love that part about about coming i'm all, i'm not always great about ritual in honestly when i'm reading for other people and i should be better but i'm very good about ritual with the daily draw so i feel like i'm slightly covered that way
1: <laughs> okay. well good good <laughs> so uh, one of the other i think really important aspects to tarot is the questions that are asked
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And the formulation of the questions. And, yeah. and I think that this can go in a number of ways, but do you have an approach when someone comes to you and they want to seek some answer? You know, I think most people want some kind of answer. Yeah, uh, Do you yeah. help them in any way formulate the appropriate question? Um, well, there...
0: yeah, kind of. I mean, I mean, I try not to interfere too much. I mean, I I used to interfere a lot. And, yeah. you know, and then I had lunch with Rachel Pollack one day. I was, you know, kind of went to Rhinebeck to worship at the Rachel Shrine <laughs> for and I took her out to lunch. And, you know, and I asked her that same very good question, you know, what do you do to reframe the question? And she's like, Who am I? to you know, to to tell them what question they should have. I just answered the question. So you know, so I've tried to be like Rachel, and I try not to reframe the question too much. But, but I do sometimes, I I do sometimes say, well, this is the kind of question I know I can answer. I feel like there are some questions I I don't know how to answer. You know, I don't know how to answer. You know, whether you're, you know, whether whether your 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 English teacher from fifth grade you know, approves of what you're doing. You know, I mean there's like there's like certain things that I just I I don't I also I don't really know how to answer lost object questions, but that's a whole nother thing. But but I feel like I feel like, you know, the person genuinely comes out of a desire to know the answer to the question. And 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 I really want to help. And some of the some of the questions will lead to answers That will not really help. Right. Like some questions like, you know, the question that you get all the time, you know, about like my health, you know, is my health going to be okay? Well, you know, what if I get, what if you get the five of pentacles or what if you get the death card, which is complicated, you know, or which the the devil. I mean, there are certainly ways to read that, but I'd like to have a conversation with the person first and see if they're open to answering instead the question, what can I do to make sure my health is, you know, vibrant and strong? I mean, again, that's definitely a question with only one right answer, right? So, you know, so you can use tarot to help you figure out ways to get the answer that you want. You can also use magic, which is efficient, you know, (laughs) but it's not for everyone. So, you know, so I will do things like that. I also, in terms of like the question that I sometimes get from people, like, can you tell me what person Y is thinking about me? That one, that one I'm also wary of because I generally feel that, you know, there's a question, can you do it versus should you do it? Some people who are truly psychic say you shouldn't do it because that's unethical and you're spying. Some people say you can't do it because they're not there. I tend to lean more since I'm not I'm not a psychic medium, I tend to lean more in the can't do it direction. But I also think, more importantly, that finding out what another person thinks of you is not always healthy. In fact, it usually isn't, even when it's something really positive. You know, there's a reason that gossip is considered in some religions a sin because that is it's toxic whether or not it's positive or negative like to hear something about yourself is incredibly distorting you know to your self-image so you know so i so i generally Frame it in terms of like, I'm not sure I can do this. But what I can do is draw a card for you and a card for the other person and comment on the relationship and the dynamics between you and how we can improve that if it needs improvement. That is something I know I can do. So, you know, I, I, I tr- usually try to frame it in terms of what I'm able to do as opposed to that is a terrible question and you are a right. terrible person, you know. Right,
1: right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned that question of, you know, mm-hmm. what does this person think about me because I get yeah. that a lot too and yeah. that's one that I I actually say, I'm not going to answer that. Qu- I can't, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And what's always going through my mind is, you know, what other people think about you is none of your business.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. that's a wonderful way to put it. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. So I, I will try to help them reframe that question. You know, like, yeah. what do I need to know about this relationship? Yeah, um, yeah. And in other- fact, I
0: think the, what do I need to know about is a great formulation yeah. for almost anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah that's my go-to. Um, Mm -hmm. And also to avoid yes or no questions Um, Mm. often, you know, especially if you're doing more elaborate spreads.
0: Yes. Uh, Yes. You know, what's funny about yes or no questions. So years ago, I, I asked the tarot to show me what Yes, looked like, and it gave me the Ace of Wands, which has since then been my yes card. And it, I asked, I was like, okay, well, if that's yes, there's probably a no, what's no? And it said Page of Swords reverse. And over the years, I've kind of come to understand that. But let me tell you this, which is that, you know, on, on Wednesdays, like today, I have a Mercury altar, right? You know, because it's Hermes day. And one of the things I sometimes put on my Hermes altar is a magic eight ball. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so, you know, I didn't do it today, but the last couple of weeks I had, and I was like, you know, what would be cool to include in my planetary rights for Hermes Mercury thought would be to ask a yes, no question of my magic eight ball. Mm -hmm. And for the last two or three weeks, every time I've been like shaking, 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 trying to come up with a yes or no question. I cannot come up with a yes or no question for the life of me. <laughs> I do not know. There's nothing that I want to know yes or no to. Or it's like, I would come up with a question. And I was like, but there's only one right answer to that. Right? So there's mm. like, there's very few things that strike me as an appropriate yes or no question mm. to answer with the magic eight ball. So I did do like three weeks ago, I think I did a, I did the classic question, which I said before, there's only one right answer to is, am I doing the right thing? Which, you know, I generally try not to ask that question because it only has one right answer. But but I did that time because I was feeling pretty desperate. And it said, yes, definitely. And I was like, thank you, magic eight ball. That That is exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> and since then it's been nothing but concentrate and ask again. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, other than the tarot and your magic eight ball, do you utilize other forms of divination?
0: Well, yes and no. I mean, yes and no. I, I think, you know, there's a part of me that's always like, a child, you know, when you're a kid and there's like the skipping over the sidewalk, or it's like, you know, if the light turns green now, then X, or if the cloud blows that way, then Y, you know, there, there's some sort of low level mancy going on all the time, whether you like it or not. And I'm still like that. Like sometimes if I'm just sitting on a rock and I'll say, you know, if the water ripples that way, then X, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so sure. But, but in terms of formal formal divination techniques. It's mostly tarot for me with a few exceptions. Like when I have a lost object, I don't use tarot. It doesn't work for me, but I will sometimes use a deck called Psy cards, PSY, Psy cards by uh, Maggie Kneen, which is beautiful, like a 32 card Oracle deck. And I love that. And I've had some success. I've had some success finding lost objects of my own with that. And then with the other, I you know, I've dabbled in all the other, other divination systems without any of them sticking, but every once in a while, I won't like, you know, get on a Lenormand jag or something, but if there is a big question that's way bigger than me, like an election or something, I will take them all out. So yeah. <laughs> like I did, it was like, this was... I may have done it for the 2020 election. I definitely did it for the 2018 midterms for some reason. I I, I was very invested in that. I, I, I don't remember exactly why. And I took out, I called it Divina Palooza <laughs> or uh, uh, Sorta of Legathon. <laughs> and, I, and I took out like, the, the, the geomancy stones. I took out the runes. I took out the yarrow stocks. I took out the Lenormand and I think I had a couple other things as well. I didn't have a magic eight ball at that point. I hadn't picked it up from the dump yet, but, but I took up everything and, and they all gave pretty much the same answers. So, wow. you know, so it was fun to do and I would do it again for something like that, you know, but uh, I even use the Sibylla Oracle, I think, which is not something I ever use but but I I I think that they all can work you know I think it doesn't I don't think that tarot is better or more efficacious than any other I think they all work I think it's the same the same mechanism the same sensibility the same setup that we use in divination across the board and you just find the one that works for you best
1: okay yeah. And speaking of the mechanism, this is like the big question, right? Yeah, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Because you you do address sort of Tarot philosophy or the Tarot worldview a mm-hmm. little bit. What do you think that is? How, how, does, <laughs> Tarot, how does Tarot work? Yeah. How, how do you think it works?
0: Yeah. You know, so the, the most helpful sort of way I think for me has of thinking about it has sort of arisen over the last few years, I mean, my first sort of model that i that I like to use was the idea that there was a backstage behind reality, kind of a magical model where where, I think I got it from American Gods, frankly, from sure. <laughs> Neil Gaiman's book, where right. there's like a shortcut that, that that Odin and Baldur take take to cross the country. They go backstage through the magical universe. But but I, I mean, I sort of felt that it was a good working model for divination and magic, because in divination, we kind of like go behind the scenes and, and to get information about what's happening in front of the curtain, what appears to be happening in front of the curtain, and that and that in magic we actually mess around back there. We change the lights and the and the and the props and things to make it look appear you know look different in front. And I like that model because of the acknowledgement that everything around us is an illusion. You know that that to me tracks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like that one. But another one that I've been working with lately much more is kind of the synchronicity model, which I like a lot from working with from reading a lot of Jung lately i like the idea that you know that we exist kind of in two realms at once you know in one in the sort of linear causal universe um but also within this larger pattern which we can't perceive this a causal order uh, that transcends what we can take in with our five senses and that uh, you know and that it's without time and that it's without you know the the sort of um the sort of A to B linear thinking that we are find so easy to understand. So, you know, the, the the example I often use for that is the idea of like our perception being sort of like a marble run where A causes B, causes C, causes D. It's one damn thing after another. Whereas, you know, whereas the the model of a causal order might be something more like, you know, if you can imagine a system of interlocked wheels where one moves, they all move, right? Mm. You know, just all of them everywhere all at once. So by looking even at one tiny part of that system, you get a sense of what's going on in the whole, which I think is similar to what we do in divination. You know, we take this one tiny sample, like a core sample, and we get some sam- some idea of what's going on in the whole. So You know, in, I think, Marie-Louise von Franz's uh, Divination and Synchronicity, she represents this as, like, the wheel of uh, linear time and then the sort of perpendicular wheel of eternal order, and that in in the center is, you know, where I think the oracle stands, you know, the spiroculum eternitatis, the breathing hole of eternity. So so I think that's what we're doing there. I think that we, um, at the moment that we engage with the oracle, we, we take, we literally take a reading of something much larger than ourselves and how we fit into it, which is why you can only do it once, you know, for one subject, right? Because it's not an experiment. It's an oracle. It's, it's not something that if you repeat it over and over on your linear causal wheel, you'll get more and more accurate results. It's the opposite. So it's, it's, I think of it as a religious act, as a sacrifice, as a, You know, and literally sacrifice meaning to make something sacred, to make it meaningful. So therefore, if you are to continue with the sacrifice model, you know, if you're at the altar of the oracle, what you're sacrificing is your doubt. Mm -hmm. And in return, you you receive meaning this because mm-hmm. meaning and doubt exist in this sort of inverse relationship so you know so my belief is that like every tarot reading is like that kind of sacrifice where you exchange doubt for meaning and um and then you don't do it again because basically by doing it again you would be introducing doubt right. into the process again okay. and reducing yeah. meaning so. Yeah,
1: that makes a lot of sense. And I like that. My yeah. friend who I'm actually recording in her room <laughs> also <laughs> reads Tarot and every now and then she will ask the Tarot the same question over and over. Yeah. And the Tarot eventually will tell her, stop asking the question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's like the old The old saying in school, you're only cheating yourself. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, you can get the card that you wish you got, you know, you can make yourself get it. But if that's what you want, do the magic, you know, work with the card as a magical object. And that's a better way of getting there than trying to pretend that you got it randomly.
1: Yeah. You've mentioned this a couple of times. So let me ask you to maybe expand on that a little bit. And that Mm -hmm. is that relationship between tarot and magic.
0: Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I mean, and this is like something that I feel like I can never learn enough about is just our relationship with symbol. There's something so spooky about it, you know, about the way that we, the way that, that, that symbols are fluid and interpenetrating and contagious. Right. And the way that we can kind of negotiate with them to mean what we want there's there's something really interesting and the way that they can also like hold meaning for us as projection holders right you know like you can you might have ordinarily you might have you know you might have you might put cayenne pepper in your chili because you like the taste but in another context you can put it in your neighbor's footprint and chase them away you know it's like you know it's really interesting that the same mundane object can become sacrificial, you know, can become full of meaning in a way that, that, that suddenly becomes magical. So, so to me, when we work with tarot, we have this incredibly rich vocabulary of images to work with that can mean all manner of things, Mm -hmm. but And that is, you know, part of the art of divination is to figure out what's the most appropriate one for answering the question. But magically, we can also do that. You know, magically, we can take those same symbols and talk back and say, okay, well, you know, this cayenne pepper, you know, might have just been a tasty treat yesterday, but today it's (laughs) trouble, right? You know, and same thing with, you know, with the, say the Ace of Swords, you know, Yesterday it might have meant that that I got my glasses cleaned, right? And today it's a weapon, right? <laughs> so I think that there's a a creative willingness to work with the symbol to bring it alive in different ways, and I, I and I think that that's what magic must be about. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I love you. You talk about the sympathetic and the apotropaic magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And uh, yeah. you gave a couple of examples in the book. And I think yeah. I remember, I, it may have been on the Fortune's Will House podcast where you talked mm-hmm. once about getting the tower and yeah. kind of going down the stairs.
0: <laughs> I still do from time to time. <laughs> oh, man, uh, it's, it's, it's getting hard in my knees. I'm getting yeah. older. <laughs> it's really hard to go headfirst yeah. down those stairs. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I have done that. I will go head down, head first down the stairs, you know, reciting the Orphic hymn to Aries while chewing five peppercorns, (laughs) you know, just to stave off that. And, you know, I, sometimes I just get lazy and I don't, and, you know, and I just drive extra carefully, but more often than not, what happens is that like, I turn on the news as I'm driving carefully and the first thing I hear is about an explosion somewhere right right right, you know yeah 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 Yeah.
1: and but you know and I think that takes us also back to the sense like with the tower the tower has such a negative reputation Mm -hmm. and it certainly has appeared in readings for me that way but it also has I think a positive connotation
0: oh sure Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely I mean I think you know, I I also, one of the things, one of the more positive things I associate with the tower is thunderstorms, Mm. you know, thunderstorms, which I kind of love and which are necessary sometimes, you know, after a long stagnant holding pattern in the weather. And I I mean, they can be paradigm shifts as well. You know, I, I haven't really seen that many That many power, powerfully positive tower instances in my life, I'm sad to say, but, you know, but on the other hand, I will often use sympathetic magic to bring it on, you know, just cracking eggs. You know or yeah. my friend Alan will will literally build up a Jenga game and talk, you know and <laughs> knock it over as <laughs> his form of apotropaic magic. Yeah. But yeah I, I I also give the example often of the Ten of Swords where you know because I sew I will go and buy sewing needles but but I got it so much this year that <laughs> I just could not face another trip to the sewing store. So right. I just you know took my medicine. Yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah well and it's amazing how the cards will appear Uh, i'll give you my example when i was writing my dissertation i had one of my dissertation committee members was a royal pain Mm. Uh, his name is robert and every day that i would hear from robert i would get the nine of swords (laughs) oh gosh
0: that's funny (laughs) and and
1: that became my my effing robert card Uh, i I see that Um, that's
0: right yeah and i think that's a great example of the way tarot is personal you know it really is about the specifics of your life and how you react to your circumstances that tarot speaks to there's no there's nothing quite like it
1: yeah when i also like the Imagery or the way you were describing sort of this tarot worldview is, Mm -hmm. especially with synchronicity, is that it allows us free will. I mean, the cards Mm -hmm. are not just, this is exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Is maybe to think about it as this is what's likely to happen now, but you Mm. still have agency within it.
0: Sure. I think that the cards kind of give us a sense of the quality of the thing, you know, the, the general shape and smell of it. And there's a lot of wiggle room in there, you know, to, to play with it. I, I honestly think that, you know, that thinking creatively, and then this could take the form of just creative mental engagement. It doesn't even have to be like painting a picture or, you know, writing a poem or singing a song. I think that that, is magical in and of itself i mean i really do think that that creativity is the basis you know is the fundamental infrastructure the lattice work of magic and that tarot gives us a chance to invites us to engage with that every day
1: right and what are some other ways other than through divination that someone can work with tarot
0: yeah. Well, in terms of you know magical practice, I think that there's a lot of things you can do. I did this whole thing on tarot magic last year, where I was sort of creating talismans with 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 magic with tarot cards, and in fact, I still I still do some of that. I mean, I I, I it's something I want to do more of because I feel it's so rewarding. the 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 commercial product I have related to that is the Eight of Wands
1: yeah you know
0: I still have I had lots and lots of eight of ones, key rings, lots of eight of ones, luggage tags, things like that. Right. and they're great but but i but I think that you can work with creatively with tarot cards in a lot of different ways. and one of the things I'll do is I'll have folks at the end of a reading especially if they're kind of new to tarot and they're not, you know, very programmed into the cards at all. I will say, "Okay, you know, this card came up a lot for you. It seems to have a lot to say to you. Why don't you take that card and print it out and carry it around in your wallet for a while. Write things on the back of it. Get to know it, you know, become friendly with it, you know, do some if you have creative inclinations, do something creative with it. Another thing you can do is put a card under your pillow you know, and try and incubate a dream with, they, with, with it, which I think is great. Um, you can meditate with a tarot card. You can enact a tarot card. That's an exercise I have people do in I think chapter four, walk the walk, just to get to know it better. You can do a deccan walk, which is a thing that seems to be popular these days, which is what 36 Secrets is based on. The idea that you can spend 10 days with each of the minor cards, getting to know them, getting to produce art based on them and kind of learning what they have to offer. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I I'm I am i have been less um some people will use tarot in sort of a as a spur for narrative fiction, which, you know, I found <clears throat> I've never really Read anything that didn't feel quite programmatic, you know, doing that, but not, that's not to say I couldn't work. Um, I prefer personally the the spell work practice that I do every day, you know, where I take the draw and I create something out of it. Like today, I got Page of Cups and Justice, and I wrote the spell. Which is pretty silly. I don't even know what it means. Feather, fin fish, silver scales. Weigh your heart and trim your sails. Yeah, I don't know what it means, but it's it has something to do with the page of cups and the little fish in their cup, and 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 silver scales is both about the fish and the scales of justice, right? Uh, and yeah. the idea of trying to sort of blur that together, and 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 I like it when they're a little bit, when they're very concrete, but because they're concrete. They're abstract to my life. I don't know exactly what they mean. And that's my favorite kind of spell. You know, something that that I can see an image in my mind, but I don't know exactly what it means for my day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I haven't tried the spells yet. And I think the reason that I haven't is because I'm afraid that I would just kind of obsess over getting this, you know, the wording and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> And maybe just, you know, being spontaneous with it would be a,
0: yeah. 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 It's, 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 you know, it's, it's fun to just be kind of silly with it and see what happens, you know, and with the understanding that you can always change it over the course of the day.
1: Right. Right. Well, and I think maybe that's another key point is to play with the cards a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, it's very constructive to engage in the car in a spirit of play with the cards. I think, you know, one thing I think about all the time with tarot is the way that, you know, it's it's serious and it's not at the same time. It's it's you know, one analogy is sports. Like you care about sports a lot. Apparently, people do. You know, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> playing games that they really really want to win. But then afterwards, it's over. It's a game. It's done, you know, and there's a magic to the intensity of the feeling and there's a magic to letting it go as well. So I think that, you know, the same thing in chaos magic where, you know, they the idea is that you build up this working that's intensely charged with energy and then does not matter, let it, you know, need not be, right, mm-hmm. is, is what Peter Carroll would say at the end of that. And I think that there's something, something about that in in magic generally the 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 intensity and then the letting go. And there's another sort of frame of mind that goes with divination specifically rather than magic I think that that maybe just kind of maybe that's the difference between the two of them because with divination I think of it more as you know more as being engaged but n- it's almost like those two states overlap you know being intensely engaged but not necessarily wanting anything right Mm -hmm. you know it's a negative capability kind of thing right Mm -hmm. where you are intensely involved but without a sense of lust of result I guess Mm -hmm. is what what Peter Carroll would call it and and to me that is why it's so much easier to read for other people because you care but not not you know, not so much, <laughs> right, right. right? It's right. not like you don't really have any skin in this game, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> now, there's a question that I want to ask, and I've been thinking for a while now how to ask this question, and I'm still not sure how to ask the question, <laughs> uh, but it's in regards to readings, and I would imagine maybe reading for other people, and It is that, do you find that when you read for other people, and this can also extend to other true readers and maybe some students that you've had, do you find that they, that the cards speak to them or they work with the cards in a very specific way? And what I mean by that is when I read for people, Mm -hmm. almost always the answer that, or what people will tell me is you've just told me what I already know. (laughs) and it's it seems to be more of a confirmation for them
0: Mm, mm. well that's interesting isn't it when that happens because they came to you because they didn't know right right and now they already know so i think something's going on in the course of the reading where that's not a bug, that's a feature, right? Right. You've told me what I already know. And it's like, yeah, you already knew, (laughs) you know, you actually already knew. And, you know, and it's hard when you hear that as a reader, not to feel like you've somehow failed them, right? Right. Because you wanted to surprise them with the big news. And, you know, honestly, most of the time, nobody wants big news. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Right. You know, I, I, I think, what people do want is certainty. Hmm. And if someone is saying you, you've told me what I already know, then you probably actually did your job. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I never uh, take it in a negative way. I actually yeah. saw it as very positive.
0: Yeah. That, yeah you know, yeah. Like, yeah,
1: this is, you know, just confirmation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and the approach I usually take is, you know, I, I always say, you know, look, I'm not making any claims of being psychic. Um, Right. And, you know, I'm just going to share with you what the cards say, what's there, and we can have that kind of conversation. And I even say, you know, this isn't necessarily predictive. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it is. Sometimes Sometimes it it
0: is. Sometimes it is. Yeah. No, I think that's wise. I think it's wise. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, because usually, even when somebody comes to you saying, I don't know the answer to this question, they usually have a hunch in one direction or another. And sometimes tarot confirms that. And sometimes it doesn't, you know, sometimes it sort of confirms their other hunch, you know, and sometimes I think that one, one sort of way I like to frame it nowadays, which I think is very true to the experience of the person being read is like, well, it sounds like there's a voice in you that's saying this one thing. And there's another voice that's saying this other thing. Let's let tarot give each of those voices a chance to speak right? So there's a card for each of them. And I think that that's, that seems true to the experience. And one might be louder, and one might be softer, or they might be in harmony with each other, or they might be fighting with each other. But it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like internal family systems, you know, there's a a way of at least putting the different parts of yourself in dialogue with each other. And (laughs) externalizing that seems to be helpful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, there's no end to the mystery and depth. I don't think of Tarot and you will never be done learning. Will you? (laughs) No.
0: And that's, what's wonderful about it. Right. You know, it's sort of like Tarot just meets you where you are, you know, and it's a companion. It's like, you know, I mean, it is a, it is an article of faith for me. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, there's, there's no end to it until, until there's an end to your life, really. And, and there's no end to the making of meaning Mm -hmm. until you go into the great meaning in the sky. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's something that I wanted to mention is when you were talking about, and I think that you refer to this in the book as that oracular moment, Mm -hmm. um, that it seems like, you know, you just mentioned faith, but it also seems like trust has to be there as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean a willingness to accept that you are part of something bigger than yourself. Right. I mean yeah. and that's why I really love all of the metaphors for fate as a as sewing or weaving, you know, the, the idea that we're just a thread in a much bigger tapestry. And you know, and I I it's I I'm endlessly interested in that because I think you know, we are we live in a world of circumstance And yet, we are free to perceive those circumstances, however we like, you know, so there's, there's this constant interplay of fate and free will, that is just the dance of being a human being. And I, you know, so what I'll often say to people is that I think it's constructive to use the illusion free will to deal with the illusion of fate because neither of them is really in charge right Right. i mean as in the human experience we're going to just always be stuck somewhere liminally in the middle and that's 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 the joy and the beauty of being human i think
1: yeah 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 we're never gonna know know, as a (laughs) as a philosophy instructor that always comes up these questions (laughs) of free will and fate and My answer is very similar to yours is like, you know, I'm like, I don't know, but I have to pretend that I do have free will. Exactly. Exactly. It is. And that is why, you know, I mean, I think that the spirit of play
0: is not just, you know, healthy and fun and appropriate for tarot. I think that's kind of life, you know, the fact that you can't know and you have to pretend you do. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, we have to deal with the uncertainties and learn how to surf those waves of uncertainty. And yeah, um, and I think that tarot helps us with that to a certain extent.
0: I think it absolutely does. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I I know that we are uh, starting to run out of time. So let me ask you just a few final questions. Okay. One is and I don't know if I should ask this, but I'm going to ask it. (laughs) And the reason I don't know if I should ask it is because you have an entire course. um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But you know, we've mentioned the little white book that Mm -hmm. comes with all the tarot decks Yeah. and you know, they are very incomplete quite frequently. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you were to design a little white book for a tarot deck, what would you do differently?
0: Yeah, that's a really great question that no one's ever asked me before. I would I would ask you know what I would do if I had to do a little white book with something for every single card. I would design it in the form of questions. Mm. I think every instead of being a description, instead of being a description of what the card's supposed to mean, I would ask a bunch of questions for each card that might lead people in fruitful directions but don't necessarily lead them there in as a leading question right Right. you know just a few open-ended questions and you know what people might hate that (laughs) because it's work, right you know it is work why didn't you just tell me what it means but but that's what i would do and you know essentially that is the premise of the course as well you know the idea of where do you see this in your life right right Right. Yeah. yeah yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a few different little white books, uh, but mm-hmm. I've never seen one that asks questions like that. And yeah. I like that. I think that's a really good idea Yeah, um, because it, it opens up to the reader themselves to start exploring and that's it's the an point. invitation.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah and yeah. that's
1: what you said is that the tro is an invitation.
0: It yeah. is, it is. I think that, you know, and that was in I said that in contrast to the idea that it was either prescription or prediction, right? right. That it was either yeah. you know that it was either going to tell you what was going to happen or tell you what to do. Right. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. But I like the idea that it's just there to have a conversation with you and and to help you help you to in, to make more of yourself.
1: Right. You know, right. to
0: be who you're meant to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's the point of most divination you know, yeah. uh, one of the questions you ask is who's on the other end.
0: Right, yeah. right. That is to me, you know, that's, it's it's really so interesting, because well, that's one of the first questions that people who don't know about tarot mm-hmm. first ask, you know, well, is it like, is it satanic, you know, <laughs> or is there, you know, are you, who do you think you're talking to? And, you know, and I think I always thought it was kind of funny that the Golden Dawn, you know, told you, well, it's, The angel through. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it is. You know, and of course, you know, maybe it is, but I think it's it is absolutely helpful to acknowledge that when you're talking, you're definitely talking to someone, you know, there and if you don't know who that person is, I think there's going to be a default. And so, so one of the things that I encourage people to do in the who you're going to call chapter is to get beyond the default, right? Right. Who would you like to talk to? (laughs) And, and that seems to work really well. I mean, if before you do all of the work of that chapter, I think, you know, it's pretty, pretty good default would be best version of yourself, right? That's a, that's a really good place to start. And and then you can <laughs> amplify it out with you know Gandalf, Galadriel,
1: right, right, right
0: yeah. <laughs> Thor, yeah. whoever,
1: right, right, yeah, yeah. I usually just kind of generic spirit, you know. I'm talking. Yeah,
0: spirit. spirit and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. One of the things I really liked about the book and, you know, I've read the entire book, but I haven't gone through all the exercises yet. That's going to Mm -hmm. take a long time.
0: It's going to take a while. I I still do the exercises (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: when I found them so refreshing compared to other Tarot books that I've encountered. But the other thing that I really liked about it is, I mean, your focus in the book is the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, Mm -hmm. but it felt to me like, you know, there are so many different clones Mm-hmm. and sometimes there are like minor differences yeah that yeah. you could actually go through which each of those decks and yeah do those exercises and get something new out of it
0: you absolutely could you absolutely could I mean I think that you know I I think Rider Waite-Smith was my go-to because well I love it and it was yeah. my first deck but also because there's a you know it's a, it's kind of the genetic material underneath right. most of the tarot in the english speaking world so so if you have rider weight then you have a good start on pretty much everything right. else
1: yeah. Right. yeah yeah and 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 the book wouldn't work so well with like the thoth based decks
0: sure sure yeah no it's like i i think that like with thought it's so you know it thought is so correspondence based you right. know and it's so i think there's something about seeing human figures in the right. cards that yeah. that makes it makes right away smith instantly relatable
1: yeah 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 well in the Thoth, it seems i mean it's so esoteric yeah and yeah i what i really like and i think this is a good place to kind of start ending is something mm-hmm. also that you wrote which is that every day is ordinary and every day is magical. And I think that the writer Wait smith deck really kind of encompasses that. Whereas yeah. the Thoth deck is more, it's like, oh, that's all magic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's all magic. It's all magic all the time. Yeah. 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 No. I mean, I like thought a lot. I mean, yeah. I've, I've come around after doing the fortunes wheelhouse podcast and being basically self-educated and educated by Mel to to, to really understand it in and out. I, I found, you know, what's really interesting is that like when we did client readings for Fortune's Wheelhouse, which we did a lot of, we would read it with, with the, with Tabula Mundi, but I would be reading it you know, within the back of my mind, writer waite smith in my mind mm-hmm. and a little bit of thought, And she would be reading with, with Thoth in the back of her mind and a little bit of writer waite smith And we would still come up with the same conclusions, right? Yeah. You know, it's you get there in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but, but that was really instructive because I'd never done that. Right. You know, you never really get a chance to compare and contrast how right. someone coming from an esoteric background versus somebody coming from a, non-esoteric background, you know, would read the same card and you can actually get to the same place.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I personally loved it when the two of you would do that um, yeah. because you don't often hear two people interpreting throw <laughs> cards. Right. And so I think working yeah. together, it was, it was really beneficial.
0: It um, was really interesting. I don't think we ever came up with like opposite meanings, right, you know? Right. Yeah. It was yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, I have sent way a lot of people to the Fortunes Will Health
0: podcast. <laughs> oh, it's, good. You know, yeah.
1: yeah. As many as yeah, I no. can. Yeah, that's usually the first thing It was a great thing, thing to do.
0: It was so yeah. much work and I loved all of it because, yeah. you know, and now I still listen to it because I don't remember everything we said, right. you know, right. that's oh, yeah. just yeah. like.
1: Yeah. yeah. I go back and listen to.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah,
1: it's, It's wonderful. It's a wonderful resource and your books are incredible resources too. Thank you so much. So let me ask you, what are you working on next? What's coming up for you?
0: Yeah. So the next thing is Jung, I think. I am going to be doing well, actually, the very next thing is Atlas Obscura. An Atlas Obscura I've got going on probably in October. I do a sort of a mainstream tarot course for Atlas Obscura twice a year. I think I'm going to be doing that in October. And then I've got something for DC Young, I think, Washington Young Society of Washington in January. And I have in November... Young platform. I'm doing something for young platform. I'm doing a for a four week thing. And then in between, I do a lot of I do a lot of presentations. I'll be at Northwest Tarot Symposium in October. Um, and then I'll be at Starcon in January. Usually during the fall, I write books. I don't know if I'm gonna do that this year. It's I feel like I'm not quite ripe yet. I want to do something on symbol. And elements and four elements, but I'm not entirely sure it's just stated enough. So I might wait
1: another year. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. Well, where can people go to find out what you're working on and to get the tarot cases and <laughs> the, the yeah. online course and just general information about you?
0: Yeah. So the sort of central clearinghouse is tsusanchang.com. And that's where people come for primarily for readings in class. So the class, as opposed to the book, this is basically the textbook for the living tarot class the the difference between the textbook and the class is that if you take the online class and you get, you know feedback from me on the eight big assignments, and there's a monthly Zoom meeting where we do new spreads and you know talk about synchronicity, how how cards show up in people's lives. And then the third thing is that, If you take the online course, then you, if you graduate, then you get a one question reading from me at the end. That's the graduation present. So there's all that. And also if you buy the book, then you get the price of the book off the course. So that's great. That's a great incentive to, to, to take the course if you have the book. Now the, so tseasonchang.com is where all of that is. I also do through that site. I do mentorship and readings. So readings, you know, you can buy in for an hour or like a half an hour if you're a return customer, but also more importantly, and I I, I want to make sure people know this, there are mentorship sessions, which I keep the price low on because I really want to help people learn to read tarot if they're having difficulties or if they have spreads they're confused about or cards they want to talk about or just struggling generally with tarot. i I try to um, make that available to people. And then, so besides the website, the other one is my Etsy shop, which is etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. So that's where you can get the cases. And also I do perfumes, which I do a ton of nowadays because there are zodiacal perfumes for the 12 signs, but there's also custom work. So people will send me their sun and moon and rising and I'll custom design a, a perfume for them. That's really fun. It's a creative act that we do together. And so, yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess I do have a red bubble shop, but there's not a ton there. And I think you can get to it through my website. The the only thing that's really fun there that I tell people about is the nine of swords blanket. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I saw you posted that in the uh, Facebook, the (laughs) Fortune's Wheelhouse Facebook. I loved that.
0: It's Uh, really great. It's really so much fun. But uh, yeah, I mean I I whenever I'm feeling particularly nine of swordsy, I will curl yeah. up in that blanket and it does make me feel better. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The effing Robert card. Uh. <laughs> effing Robert, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Should send him one.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. No, I'm not gonna send him anything. <laughs>
0: And it's so appropriate too, because, you know, I mean, from my point of view, I associate that card with writing and the demons of writing, Mm -hmm. and that was your dissertation. So that seems to really track.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It tracked in so many ways. (laughs) So many ways. So, well, Susie, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute delight speaking with you, and I am so grateful for your time.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it as well.
1: And that's a wrap on episode 95 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you are part of my YouTube audience or view this on Spotify. Before anything else, I would like to give a shout out to my latest patron, Colleen Costello. Colleen, thank you so much for your ongoing sponsorship and belief in Rebel Spirit Radio. I'd also like to thank Dr. Sharon Cogan for her very generous donation to the podcast. Sharon, you've been an inspiration to me for over 25 years now, and I'm so very grateful for your ongoing encouragement, your friendship, and your support of the podcast. So to both Colleen and Sharon, words just do not do justice to how deeply thankful I am to both of you for your generosity of time and money and your belief in what I am doing here. You are both truly Rebel Spirits. For anyone else who would like to support my work here on Rebel Spirit Radio, and please support my work, you too can become a patron. Uh, you can find the link for the Patreon in the show notes or video description. Some of the perks for patrons include early access to videos, shout outs to members, a members only Facebook page, access to the Rebel Spirit Radio Discourse server. And a monthly book club where we explore books discussed on the podcast, spiritual and philosophical classics, and books related to the cocktail apocalypse. I mean, remember, I am a professor of philosophy and religion, so consider the book club an ongoing classroom where you can go as deep as you'd like with me and other rebel spirits. And of course, if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can still do so via PayPal. I still have big plans for the podcast and the YouTube channel. So right now, this is all a labor of love. So your support will not only help me in continuing what I do here, but will also help me grow the channel and the podcast. I'll be tremendously grateful for any support you can provide. Another way that you can help the podcast is to share it with friends, family, coworkers, and share it on social media too. That really is one of the best ways you can help and support the podcast. Help me grow my audience. As I always like to say, I'm out here doing missionary work in regards to religion, spirituality, and ecology, psychedelics, and consciousness, and how all of this can help us heal humanity's relationship with the sacred earth. So if you feel moved by the rebel spirit, and you know I sure hope that you do, please, by all means, help share the good news. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help, especially if you listen on Apple. If you have a minute to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review and please subscribe. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you'll be informed when I upload new content. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to or watching Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your Rebel Spirit.